Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Hey everyone, welcome to Millennial Mental Health Channel, where a psychiatrist and a therapist discuss mental health. Each episode will look at a different topic, things like anxiety, depression, and personality disorders. We'll share our thoughts and experiences on the topic, show people that they should not feel ashamed to have mental health problems, and encourage them to speak up when they need help. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoy. Here at Millennial Mental Health Channel, Justin and I care a lot about your mental health. That's why we use our platform to teach about the mental health world and ways you can improve your own personal life. Self-care routines can make huge improvements on your overall well-being, but sticking to that routine can be tough. We give so much of our time to others in day-to-day life, and we rarely do anything for ourselves. It can be so hard to be consistent with living a healthy lifestyle, and when we can't be consistent, the shame and the guilt can be so bad that it prevents us from getting back to our routine. But a great way to stay motivated and on track is through an accountability partner, But again, that could be pretty hard. Friends and family make good partners, but they still can make it hard to be consistent. For me, Ed, actually my dog is my accountability partner. If she doesn't get exercise, she is bouncing off the walls. So we work out together about five times a week. And the research really does suggest that having an accountability partner increases the success rate of meeting your goals. And that's where Supporty comes in. Supporty is an app that helps you find an accountability partner all through the comfort and ease of your smartphone. And yes, contrary to what your parents have been telling you, smartphones (laughs) can be used to improve your health. This app asks what your goals are and breaks those goals down into daily measurable actions. These goals can be anything from developing a self-care routine to improving your physical health. From here, your daily actions of things like reading for an hour each day or taking a 30-minute walk after work come into play. Whatever your goal is, Supporty can help you reach it. Supporty matches you with a buddy for one week at a time. This way you can opt for a new buddy at the end of the week or choose a new goal. Your daily actions towards your goal are tracked, and then a notification is sent to you and your buddy when you get it done. It's mutual, so you give and receive encouragement from your buddy. Their successes are your successes too. Not sure how to hold someone else accountable? The app creators have a great way to teach you how to be a great partner. Your first match is a three-day training with a super buddy who leads by example and leads the way. The great people from Supporty have been generous enough to offer a special deal to our listeners. Download Supporty from the Apple App Store or Google Play Store, and that's support spelled with an I, and choose Millennial Mental Health Channel when you create your account to start your two-week free trial. Check the show notes, the MMHC Twitter page, and our personal social media accounts for more details on how to find a link to download Supporty today. Supporty, the accountability partner app. And now, back to our show. 
Welcome everyone to Millennial Mental Health Channel. I am Dr. Justin Romano. We have a very special episode with a very cool guest with us today. As always, I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Eddie Carrillo. And today our, ho- our uh, guest is Beth Farrell. So we'll, we'll let her introduce herself in a second. But Eddie, what do you got to say for us? Uh, what do I have to say for us? Um, <laughs> just as always, just thank you for everyone for listening, uh, for turning on today's episode. Um, shout out to y'all who have been giving us some some reviews on Apple Podcasts. Uh, they've been slowly creeping up, and that's been really cool to see because it's just like, you know, I check every once in a while just because I I just check and I can't help myself. But just to see, you know, yeah, that that is the word I want. Again, I don't know too many big words, but I think that one. <laughs> Uh, but you know, just to see it slowly creeping up where I think like 16, 17 away, uh, reviews from hitting 50, which again, I, I don't know if I could have imagined that. So thank you guys so much yeah. for listening, for liking, subscribing, uh, following us on Spotify, whatever podcast app you guys use. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin, do you have any shout outs you want to, you want to do for today? Well, I shouted my mom out last week. Uh, so that's pretty much the main one. Um, <laughs> Other than that, I'll let you keep going, man. Sounds good. Um, well, for today's topic, we wanted to talk about what I consider the the unsung heroes of the the medical field, the mental health field. Uh, we talk a lot about social work. Um, it gets brought up, and I think it's gotten brought up a lot more recently in, in a not-so-positive light. So I want to make sure we, we hit a positive light on it today. But to me, social workers, the social work degree, the master's of social work, uh, it's got to be the most versatile and widely used degree in mental health. But again, social workers are not, you know, getting the love they deserve. Um, right now with everything going on, and we've talked about it with, with the racial injustices, um, we talk about, you know, defunding the police. And a lot of people take that as like taking money away from the police or abolishing the police. But it's more like taking that money and putting it somewhere else, like paying for social workers and mental health professionals to ride along with the police or with, you know, educational programs, preventative things. And I've been seeing a lot of like really crappy, like, I don't know what what I want to call it. I don't really want to make it political, but just really crappy memes where they're just like, oh, why don't we just send a social worker when, you know, this murderer is out on the loose or this person's running around all crazy. And it's like, to me, you know, people joke about it. like, you know, a social worker might do a better job uh, with the <laughs> being able to do this. So you want to make a joke about it, but I, I think we should, but it's, you know, again, it not really talked about in the most positive light right now. And, and it's upsetting because uh, a social worker or other mental health professional could definitely um, in some situations be better, better suited to handle it. And uh, they seem to be placed in a box as far as like what they can do. Uh, and that's not the case at all. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit when, you know, even before I knew I wanted to be a therapist, thinking the word or the phrase social worker, I thought it was just, you know, Department of Human Services, Child Protective Services, and that was it. And that's not the case at all. I mean, they're the ones who get your loved ones set up with an aftercare or discharge plan when leaving the hospital. Uh, they work in schools and can sometimes be the front line for, for kids in school that don't really have any type of support outside of school. Um, and then get them the support they need. And they can do the individual family group therapy, um, things like that. But but again, the list goes on and on. Uh, and that's why I wanted to have a social worker come on, come on today and kind of, you know, answer some questions so we can learn and really just appreciate the work that social workers do. So that's mm-hmm. what we wanted to focus on today. And we're very excited to have Beth on. Yeah. 
thank you so much, you guys. I'm excited. I think this will be this will be fun. No pressure though to like represent all of social work. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the profession is just sitting on your shoulders. Right yeah, no now. big deal. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's so funny. <laughs> well, Beth, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about uh, you know the work that you do, and and yeah, fill us in. Okay. Cool. Um, well, I've had lots of different types of jobs, which is very common for most social workers. We've had mm-hmm. an array of different types of experiences mm-hmm. on the majority side. Um, some people have found their niche in the beginning, but um, so I am at this time a outpatient therapist. I um, provide counseling to uh, adolescents 15 and above um, and then adults, you know, so basically anybody 15 and above, I provide um, therapy for. I currently am specializing in anxiety disorders um, as well as have an interest in what used to be called conversion disorder, but is functional neurological symptoms or psychogenetic non-epileptic seizures. There isn't a lot of individuals in this area who treat it. Um, and while it's normally left up to psychologists, I'm pretty, you know, gutsy. So I took that on too. And I'm, uh, <laughs> I've been, uh, studying under the anxiety team at Nebraska medicine here in Omaha. And so, uh, that's kind of what I've been doing now. And in a month I am kind of like reaching what my five-year plan was. And even though we're in a pandemic, I am going to open my, um, or join a practice, but which is my own little like name on it. And nice. I'm going to do that. So I'm really excited. Yeah. Woo-hoo. The yeah. world of private practice. That's, I mean, that's, we were talking about this before, Beth. I mean, that's so exciting. Yeah. And I think for some people it can be scary, but I think that is something that I think a lot of therapists um, and mental health professionals strive for. So good for you. I mean, congrats yeah. to you. A little early congrats, but congrats to you. Thank you. I'm really excited and terrified, but excited. So it'll be, it'll be a good mix. I mean, the worst case scenario goes horribly wrong. So it's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Worst case. That's okay. Worst case. It's fine. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So uh, those are kind of my interests right now. Um, And then I also will be, because I, I like to take on lots of projects. I really am passionate about educating up and coming social workers. I do believe um, it's important to educate people coming after me. So I took on a student as well, and they're going to be providing uh, pro bono services to some people in the community um, nice. so they can get their experience. So cool. I'm excited. Yeah, really yeah. cool. And then as I mentioned before, I will. We, we everyone is asleep at this moment, but at any moment <laughs> there could be some kids screaming. I have two littles. So. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> like I got there like my go. husband's on one, my mom's on the other. Like we were kind of just, you know, we'll see what happens. But yeah. <laughs> No problem. <laughs> we'll do it live. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it live. Yeah. <laughs> I think, okay, uh, the first right. question that I had for you, Beth, just be- and honestly, this is a this is my own personal interest because I've wanted okay. to know for a while. Um, is in going to grad school, you know, you get your master's of social work. Um, what does that curriculum look like? If you if you can kind of give us what a, does the curriculum look like? Yeah. Okay. Like, what does that education experience look like? Um, okay. So the education experience, I think. Um, you guys had mentioned even like asking about what re- degrees are required. It's actually mm-hmm. kind of important to know what degree work the, the social worker has yeah. because you oftentimes can get your bachelor's in social work, which then qualifies you to get a it's one year master program. Mm-hmm. Um, because you got your bachelor's. So you would do mm-hmm. a one year master's program, um, which is it's no joke. <laughs> 
Like it's no joke. Okay. It's hard. Um, and so you are required in both your undergraduate and your graduate courses. If you do an advanced standing, that's the one year, or if let's say you got your undergraduate in psychology or accounting or whatever, I don't, I don't know if you can do accounting, but whatever. (laughs) Um, you then would move into a two years master program. Um, but the reason that's important is your your bachelor's degree is really focused on more of those connecting services, and you are required to um, learn all about human theory and um, development. Usually, you'll kind of like focus on the broad range versus like literally birth to death, like mm-hmm. everything in between, and the the conditions that can develop all from birth to death. So, you know, just a little bit. And, um, you, but you, you become very good at brokering services, um, advocacy, learning how to, um, get things done and get people what they need. Uh, that is like the bachelor's level. So if you have someone who's a bachelor's level, they're likely working as like a community support worker, or they are, they could be working in homeless shelters or even in clinics. Um, but that lower level is not the clinical level where the therapy comes in. Now, can they do like safety assessments? Could they probably provide some counseling to individuals in the community? Can they de-escalate situations? Do they probably Probably have experience working with difficult people. Yes. And that internship for that undergraduate is like, I think you need 300 hours just for uh, like going through it or something like that. It's a, mm-hmm. I think it's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. For That's while you're in school. You need 300 hours while you're in school and your bachelor's. Then that's when lot, you get yeah. to your master's, you need like another 300 hours. Um, and those uh, those can be anything from interning at a macro level of like advocating for policy all the way down to working in a clinic, working in a hospital, working in, I don't know, whatever there is. Um, And so the master's level is focused more on that actual clinical intervention for therapy. That's where we're getting into treatment modalities and interventions and diagnoses. And something that is really cool that um, other professions don't focus on as much, but social workers um, usually have one or two tests on their credentialing about medications. And so mm. that's what I really love with working with psychiatrists. Um, and that's actually how I met you, Justin, is uh, mm. I was with the psychiatry team. We actually have to know what type of medicines are likely used for which diagnoses and what the side effects of those are, because we do a lot of times see patients um, for a longer period of time. And um, so we're tested from death to life in our undergraduate. Then we either have to relearn that or learn it for the first time if you're a first year or if you're a, not an advanced sounding, and then, are you ready? Yeah. You got to uh, then learn about the theory and how they apply to the different stages of life and then the medications that we use to treat mental health as well. And um, then you can specialize in things like addictions or adolescence and pediatrics, or you can, you can do anything from there. I chose addictions personally, but that's what I did. So that's a really long answer, but it's a really big. <laughs> I think that's why social work can be really confusing is because it's so big that it's like I can't just give you a quick little yes or no yeah yeah so no, in three thanks. words or less describe what a social worker does <laughs> I know everything <laughs> oh everything that's um we we basically just are, we get her done and then we also understand how and why yeah um mm-hmm. that is that's like I think our, our thing is is like what's the what's the why and what's the person need and how and we get it done so that's the yeah. easy answer I guess yeah Wow, I don't know that's really words. cool. I, I I think for me too, especially just like 
as a therapist myself, like the medication part is the one where I'm just like, anytime anyone brings up any type of med stuff, I'm just like, that is above my pay grade. And let me find <laughs> someone that, that knows it. Cause I, I just, for the life of me, can't, can't get it. So that is really cool. Yeah. So, um, it's not like we go into dosing or everything, but like, mm-hmm. I think what my test question was something like, um, if a person is diagnosed with bipolar, what are the likely medications that they would be on? And mm-hmm. some of them were like old school, like Haldol and, um, I think Seracol was on there too, but it was like, which one would be more likely, which mm-hmm. again, I was like, it's crazy that I need to even know that. Yeah. And, yeah. um, so yeah, that's something that, um, not all social workers remember all of those. And again, it was one question out of like however many we need for our licensing exam. But mm-hmm. it is good to know that social workers have um, both medical knowledge as well yeah. as psychosocial knowledge and then the therapy piece as well. So yeah. it's kind of a lot of information. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I that's why we were so broad, though, I think it's because we can do a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I always tell my patients that when I when I recommend that they go talk to a social worker, I tell them like the social workers are the gurus of like social programs. They know what resources are out there. They'll yeah. help you qualify the, for the ones that you need, and they'll hook you up to resources that you need. Am I am I telling them a complete lie, or am I like going down the right trail there? It just depends, actually. So kind of maybe I don't know. It depends on what you're referring them to. <laughs> so like if True. um in my outpatient setting in my therapy office, if you sent someone uh, maybe who was struggling with homelessness and really just needed help filling out maybe a disability application and or an application for housing, that is not what I want you to refer someone to me for. Mm-hmm. Um, because our scope is so so broad, um, we do eventually become kind of masters at little niches. For me, it's that clinical therapeutic intervention. Um, that mm-hmm. is what I'm specializing in right now. So if you sent someone who has those problems, great, but I'm going to treat maybe the PTSD or the OCD or um, the maybe it just kind of just difficulty with emotional regulation. And I will refer out to another social worker to manage that other piece. Now, mm-hmm. hospital social workers are kind of um, like a catch all or social workers who work in like a community program or a rehousing program they oftentimes are providing um, brief um, therapeutic intervention, teaching skills to individuals, and then also helping with paperwork because we do know, um, like even in a doc, uh, a medical, like a doctor, what am I saying? A doctor setting. What is that called? <laughs> a, you know, uh, a primary, thank you. What is the words? <laughs> I can't do words today. Uh, like a medical setting, you know, like even just understanding what the doctor says or understanding, um, about health literacy, we know that they need help with applications. And so um, the cool thing about medical social work is uh, they do all of that and that supportive therapy too. It's just usually not as in depth. So yeah, it depends on what you're referring them to a social worker for, Justin. Um, yeah. I'm just saying. So I mean, yeah, so, so yeah, kind of. <laughs> okay. So you got to know the niche. You got to know which, yes. which, who to send people to and yes. what they can get help with. Well, and especially because um, I can't really bill for just filling out paperwork for someone. So like mm-hmm. I would be difficult for me to, you know, ethically bill Medicaid if the patient is really just needing housing and community resources and not ready for therapy yet. Um, but do I oftentimes help, um, you know, I helped a patient find a lawyer for something for um, their, like their, 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 like um, their son's um, experience in a, um, a justice system. I, mm-hmm. I will do those things. And because I have those skills, when those situations come up with my patients, I 
I'm a little bit, you know, no offense, Eddie, but I know all of the resources. <laughs> so unlike maybe counselors or somebody else, I'm like, oh, we'll just do this. And then I can do that. I will do that. And so if you do sit in front of me for therapy, I can assist with the additional things. But as far as um, all of us are the same, we're doing the same. It is good to know what person you're referring to and what their role mm-hmm. will be, because then you're going to get um, really good care for your patient. Although I guess if you did refer, I probably would just be like, oh, that was so nice. But you really need to be here. And I would just refer them on and make sure they would get there. Mm -hmm. You'd say something like, per my last email, I don't do this. (laughs) No, I wouldn't. I would be like, thank you so much. Carl's doing great. And I would be fine because it's probably not true of everyone, but we're not known for being like overly assertive. We're kind of more of the peacemakers. So Mm -hmm. Um, I can't, again, blanket statement, but. You probably would never know. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, cool. Tell me a little bit about like what's because you spend so much time working with people and really trying to help people with their problems that are getting in the way of them living their lives. What's the most rewarding part of your job? What do you love about it? Oh, I love a lot about it. Um, I really like those those moments. Social work has this this really cool just value that that people have a right to self determination. So when we are looking at these really intense situations or right now my role is to help someone help themselves, mm-hmm. the the cool part about that is because that value is so ingrained in me, when I go home, I don't have to worry that that, that person is or is not doing kind of what they want for their life. I know they have that self-determination, but what's really cool is when there is this aha moment um, of, oh, that, that, that's all. Yeah, that's all. Okay. Or that, that moment when they realize that, that they, they have this potential within them. And, um, my favorite thing to do with patients is to normalize what they're feeling and going through because so many people are like, really? And I'm like, yeah, I feel like that right now. Um, (laughs) and so the most rewarding part is really helping someone reach their goal in the way that they want to reach their goal and not in the way I would want them to. Um, so like if someone comes to me and maybe their drinking's out of, um, you know, out of hand, my goal, you know, ideally would be to get you to sobriety, but I have had some people just reduce their drinking and that helped them. And that's mm-hmm. rewarding to me because that's truly what they wanted. And I want to help people the way they want to be helped. Um, because they have the right to self-determination. So that's probably one of my favorite parts of my job. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, we've talked about it before. And I think when people go into like mental health professions or just helping professions in general, um, you'll sometimes get pushback from clients, patients who are like, why do you even care about me? Or why, why is this important to you? And mm. it's like, I, I care because it's my job to care, but this is my job because I care, you know, if that makes yeah. sense. It's like, and I, I, it's great hearing it. And I think it's always great to hear from like like-minded people that this is just something that's so important to you in your work. Yeah. And I'm good at it. I mean, if I was good at like, you know, I don't know the stock market, maybe that'd be cool too, but uh, I'm not I'm really good at this. So yeah. I care. I don't know yeah. why I care, but I care. I'm just kidding. Yep. <laughs> I tell people all the time. Oh, I love it. Um, yeah. so- why do you think validating people is so useful and so important? Ugh, I don't know. I'm just kidding. Uh <laughs> I think that, I mean, people can argue about where it is, whether you believe we're an organism developed, whether you believe we were created or whatever the reason is, we thrive on connection and validation 
is a very direct tool to say, I see you Hmm. and to be seen and to be a part of, right? Like if you're seen, then that means you're a part of, and to be able to just tell someone, yeah, mm -hmm, that experience is valid. That is being seen and that is connection. And we as humans, for whatever reason, you can talk to the psychologist about that. Um, Mm -hmm. It means something. It's helpful. It, it is something that inside of us turns turns things on and makes things work better. Um, but I do know that the validation is literally like a turning point for most people, even some mm-hmm. of the most difficult conditions, whether it's psychosis, validating that, you know, maybe the fact that the, the, the van that keeps driving around the block is out to get them, validating the fear that they're experiencing is just as important as validating the grief that someone has because you see what their suffering is and you get to witness that. And when people know that they're witnessed, they, they, they get better and they feel safe. So, and it's why probably for me, there's probably some sort of like cortisol response or something that I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's where Justin comes in. Cause again, yeah, yeah like uh, Justin or those neuropsychologists. <laughs> yeah. I got nothing. Sure. Yeah. Oh, something yeah. like that. <laughs> you know, I'm not even sure about like what validation actually does in the brain. I don't either. I'm sure it releases some, some happy hormones there, but mm-hmm. I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. There with, you know, we're such social beings and it feels like, so much of our world, we're just kind of in our own craziness loop where I know in my head, I'm just kind of like, go, go, go. And sometimes it's hard for me to think about others and validate others. When I'm at work, it's a little different. I like to validate. (laughs) (laughs) Caveat, I'm a great doctor. Uh. (laughs) I mean, you know, I'm not perfect, but uh, so many people especially growing up in really hard families or really, or, or families with like a history of trauma, a history of abuse, a history of neglect, those things tend to get passed down generation to generation. And some people grow up their entire lives without their parents ever really validating them, listening to them or, or making them feel like a person. And so sometimes we as professionals get the ability to give them the first time someone's ever really sat down and listened to them. And I think that's a really cool part of our jobs as mental health providers. I agree. And I, I like it. Yeah. It's a good part. Yeah. <laughs> um, looking at the other side of, of the good parts, because there's, there's a lot of good. I mean, as, as hard as the days can be, there's, there's a lot of good. Um, but Beth, what would you say is the most challenging part of your job? Um, I think one of the most challenging parts of the job is, as we've kind of alluded to, is social work is is so vast and we are capable of so much, is we hold a lot of responsibility. Um, mm. So like when a, a physician says, call the social worker, or someone yells, call the social worker, or, or um, even the meme says, call the social worker, why don't we do social <laughs> work? Like, even that, though, right? We carry a lot of responsibility to get a job done, and we are expected to get it done, but we carry very little authority. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I was taught in, in not high school, in grad school, that like, you know, it, we don't actually take kids away. It's the police officers who do. And so we can make the call, but we have no authority. We can see something go wrong, but we have no authority um, in a lot of cases. And I will 
caveat that with is our, we are becoming more respected in different um, sets. People are um, allowing us to share a voice specifically in the department. I am now the, the social work voice or the therapist voice is at the table. Um, and I really, really, that's probably um, just one of the things that I just love about working um, in the department of psychiatry at Nebraska medicine and UNMC. But um, that's one of the hardest things and challenging things is knowing what, what that patient needs and not having authority to do anything about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a little paralyzing. Yeah. It's a little hopeless. And like that moment you're like deep breaths, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the positive of that, I mean, is just you sharing the challenge, but also seeing is like, I think we are moving in the right direction. I think the mental health field as like, as a whole, and I've mentioned it to Justin a bunch of times, and I think he agrees is that I think we're moving in the right direction and it might feel slow sometimes, but it, I think definitely what you're saying is like to, to know, like, especially like where I work now and hearing from you and your experience that like the social worker and the therapist voice is being listened to. And like, mm-hmm. you know, you can talk to the psychiatrist, you can talk to the, yes. the other MDs and the, they can be like, Oh, okay, well, you know, Beth said this, so I'm going to take that into account. I'm going to make sure that this is a part of, you know, my next eval, or this is a part of my next, you know, meds appointment with this client or patient and just taking what, what you say and what I say and what, what we say as a profession and, and taking it seriously. I think that, that's so great to hear. And I, I think, again, I think we're moving in the right direction. I do too. And again, um, it takes time to move in the right direction. Yeah. Right? Like I, oh, yeah. you just kind of like knee jerk the wheel, we're going to flip the car. So mm-hmm. um, <laughs> let's, let's make a U-turn. You know what I mean? Like let's, let's slow down. Let's watch for oncoming traffic and make the U-turn. Let's make it a good turn. And um, I think it's doing that. I think we are, we are realizing that. And um, I do know like talking to some residents, um, that, that we are being included in the conversation and in their training, they're understanding more of what we're doing. And so quite frankly, <laughs> I made a joke about maybe you're not referring to the right social worker, but uh, Dr. Romani, you are one of the only residents that ever came down to my office in the dungeon um, and you asked for help. And so I think that that was part of who you are, but like part of your training as well, knowing mm-hmm. that I could help you with that. And so that was really powerful for me to see as um you weren't afraid to, you know, come into the trenches as well. And I think that that's kind of like the way mental health is shifting is it's not so, um, I'm going to use the word prestigious in certain areas. Like we're all in it together. We're all there to help someone. So it's sort of where I kind of see, I think it's working. That's pretty cool. And yeah, I think in terms of residents going into psychiatry, more and more people are going into it for good reasons because they really want to help people. Um, and you know, I'll have to say, you know, I do have to say when I went down to your office to ask you for help, I mean, it was a dungeon down there. They, <laughs> I didn't want to talk I, bad, but we call it the hole. It's a little scary. <laughs> oh, man. I had to follow this, uh, this map written on a, on a napkin with a crayon. <laughs> There were dragons on the map and it was just like this dark, dank tunnel. It was, yeah, it was, but that's, that's where the hospital put you guys. That's where I was for three years. (laughs) I thought that was so unfair. I was like, you guys do most of the legwork around here and you're stuck in the dungeon. Quite literally. Yes. And it was, yeah, the sign on the door is like hanging off. It's really, (laughs) um, yeah, uh uh-huh. There's like a, a little like cardboard on the ceiling but it was really it, yeah um but it was good there and like no one even ventured and I almost never asked I was like oh you don't have to come down here it's fine like <laughs> you just showed up I was like whoa okay hi <laughs> good I meet you no one wants to venture into the, the dungeon so, mm-hmm. so I gotta say this is to, 
to just be a part of the, this moment that we're having here is nice. I mean, just to, oh. to hear your experience, Pat and Justin. I mean, this is this is the stuff we need. Damn it! Like this is what why we're yeah. moving in the right direction as professionals that want to work together and know that it's important to work together and that that's what's going to carry us in the right direction. So oh, I agree. <laughs> um, I agree. And and again, though, I think though that like we're you know being held to really strict standards with like um, documentation and insurances um, demanding certain things from things. Uh, but I feel like because of that, like I have to add more into my notes now because my notes used to be just for me, but because mm-hmm. I have to add so much now while it's cumbersome and it messes up my time management, the physicians that read my notes now have more information about their patients yeah. and they understand what I'm doing a little bit more than a quick, uh, you know, psychosocial stressors with family, um, intervention, CBT, and then that's it. Right. Like, um, because of that, there is more information to help them and I have more access to them due to technology. Um, but I think that some of those technology like annoyances are actually pretty good in helping us bridge gaps. So Mm -hmm. I am a big proponent of, um, kind of technology and how that's actually helping bridging gaps with, um, you know, that between that physician and that therapist or those mid levels or lower levels, I think those yeah. can be pretty powerful. Yeah. That's my, and I would say there's, there's kind of like a sense of pride too in that and just in knowing that mm-hmm. like, you know, what I'm, what I'm typing up, what I'm charting right now for this yeah. patient, you know, is going to, you know, a psychiatrist that I work closely with or another yeah. MD that I work closely with or whoever I'm referring to. There's like that sense of pride of like, what I'm doing is important and someone's going to read this and this is going to impact, you know, how they treat my patient, how they work with yes. them. So that's really cool. Yeah, I love that. I just, it makes it good. I like that. I like having pride in what I do. And I think that, I mean, I think the patient's thankful for that too. So, (laughs) it better be. Right? Like, hey, right? Well, I tell them too. Like, this is what I'm putting in your note. This is what I'm going to tell them. Does that sound Mm -hmm. good to you? Okay, let's do that. Um, Knowing that I'm advocating on their behalf, which is, again, another core kind of value of social work is doing that. And yeah, that's what I do. Any other cool Mm. questions? Yeah, I was going to ask, it seems like the system in America is set up so that there's not a ton of preventative stuff out there. It's mostly just like waiting for someone to scoop a pile of crap onto the fan. Um, Where Mm -hmm. do you think resources need to go? What do people need? Like as someone who's been in the trenches, you've really worked with people, you've helped people, you worked in the hospital setting, you've worked all over. What do you feel like our system could be better? Mm, No, not a loaded question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Okay. Lots of things, like lots of things. Um, Three words or less. Just right. <laughs> yes, like the person who like talks the most and gives like likes to give examples. So yeah, it's your fault. Um, I, so there's like a couple like like parts, obviously. Um, but well, one of the things like I like to um, point out is there are a bunch of areas. So I I can't tell you who did the research, but there was research on not just starting mental health education, like in like your adulthood, but like we need to be teaching our children, like elementary school, kindergarten, not uh, kindergarten, but like pre-K though, Mm -hmm. they need to understand, we need to talk about feelings and thought. Are you, what are you feeling? Mad, sad, glad, like helping them identify that then there. Um, I know that there, 
there is important to like, you know, maybe teach your kid how to do yoga starting from a young age. One of the uh, psychologists in the department studied um, pain and um, like chronic pain in adults uh, who had children. And it was found that those children responded as adults the same way that their parents responded to chronic pain, even when it wasn't like a chronic pain situation. And so we learn from a very young age how we're supposed to interact with things. And so for me, funding does need to start way before we, we as we're developing, because those are going to be kind of built in a little easier. But as if we're going to go for what do we need to do now? Um, I think we need to take a look at our structure and how we have things set up. Um, one of the most powerful things to me was we are asking and then, okay, so I'm going to caveat this back. How are things set up? And then what are we asking the human organism to do? For instance, I am asking a police officer to at the same time show compassion and um, very clear executive functioning when they are physically also possibly in danger. And so those are literally two competing systems. We are both activating, we're both asking them to have their sympathetic nervous system, which is the one where your fear, you know, like kind of you're amped up, you're ready to go. And their parasympathetic, which allows your body to calm down and think rationally. Um, we're asking them to have both of those systems going at the same time. And that's not enough. Like that's too much, right? Like that's, you can't handle like, like the human body can't adapt to that effectively uh, without very particular training and, or having possibly the, the scope of maybe what they're being asked to do is too broad. Um, and, uh, having the idea of getting buy-in for that and having pretty big stakeholders, not just roll out a program. Like I said, um, you know, not just turn in the car around because then again, we can sometimes miss the the turn and just flip. The idea is let's take a time. Let's figure out how the human body works in these situations and then let's implement a plan. And so for me, it would be um, re- like looking at the restructuring of how, what we're asking human beings to do in these situations, um, particularly when it comes to that. Um, so starting younger, Um, putting more money into maybe having a yoga hour or a mindfulness hour and under helping kids understand that, that it's not an option to take five minutes a day for yourself. Like that's what you do in life. And then also let's figure out how we have the system set up. I can't handle a caseload of 42. Like I did sometimes in the hospital. That's just not possible. I can't do a good job. And so maybe we need to just look at how and what we're asking people to do. That's my very long answer. Sorry. No, no. But it was eloquent. Very good. (laughs) I've been thinking about it. I haven't actually told anybody. So y'all and all of your listeners are now getting my thoughts. Uh, But I've been thinking about it. I'm like, what are we really asking people to do? I talk with people oftentimes about um, trauma and like what's going on in their brain and why can't they think when they're panicking. And that's, I learned a lot about the the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. And both of those can't be activated at the same time. So um, the sympathetic literally draws blood flow away from your executive functioning and therefore how like rational thought does go out. And we are a little bit more um, sensory oriented when we're in our sympathetic nervous system. So Mm -hmm. something to think about. I think, uh, I think I think a lot more people are learning about trauma too, and like the impact mm-hmm. that it has on like a child's development. Yeah. Um, yeah. We had a presentation um, at like a school district near where I used to work, and just kind of, and it was all about trauma and just having a lot of these teachers for the first time understand like 
wow, like I've been going about this a completely yeah. different way and I had no idea. And, and then too, just understanding themselves like, man, maybe this is why I act certain ways or what I've dealt with in my life is impacted where I'm at today. And, you know, they're yes. full blown adults, you know. And that would just kind of emphasize it is very hard to have compassion for something you don't understand. And so starting when they're younger, they're going to know about it. And then when they get to be adults, they their first reaction isn't going to be, oh, Johnny's trying to be mean. It's Johnny is is hurting. Yeah. Johnny has an emotional like struggle right now. This is how the human body is re- responding to a situation at home. And that's why we're acting out at school. Um, I tell parents all the time, kids don't just get high usually just to get high. Sometimes there's stuff going on and it helps them manage. And so, um, you know, understanding that though, like, well, I didn't know that I went to school and I paid a ridiculous amount of money to learn that. But if we could start educating younger, (laughs) it's easier to have compassion when you, you know, and understand it yourself. Yeah. And you've been able to know and understand it in a safe place. Yeah, I think a, a specific thing that needs to be taught to young people is empathy. Because mm. actually, I had a really good conversation with my fiance about this recently, where we were talking about you know what we want to actually see being taught in schools. Because it seems like so much of what kids learn in school is kind of irrelevant for life. Don't tell you know <laughs> Betsy DeVos I said that. Um, you but, tell her you said. <laughs> There are so many things that kids don't learn empathy. Kids don't learn coping strategies. And it seems like in America, we like the coping strategy is just like, no, well, stuff it down. Just keep on stuffing that fear and anger and hatred down until it finally blows up until you need to get help. Like, it's just, we don't teach people how to be healthy and we keep pulling arts and different creative and expressive ways of dealing with pressure. One of my favorite quotes is like science is how we solve problems and and art is how we cope with them. And Mm. we're just giving kids none of the tools anymore to cope with them. Uh, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I'm like, soapbox you keep yes <laughs> how, how do we get this episode of betsy we got to learn her a thing a, a thing or two <laughs> gonna learn her a thing or two. Oh my goodness um i don't know i wonder what it, if um it would be interesting to ask a really fancy psychologist who studies brains like when empathy develops i don't know mm. if that's something that's inherent or not um well i barely passed neuroscience in undergrad so i don't think yeah. i'll know though yeah, i don't know <laughs> I don't know either. I'm like, I wonder when empathy is like, I mean, is that something you like get? Like, I don't know. I don't know when it comes part of your brain. That'd be cool though, uh, to teach, to kind of, again, that knowledge is going to lead to empathy. Oh, I love that. Well, I'm not trying to one up you or anything, but I did just Google it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if we could figure out a way to learn. Uh, So studies show that around two years of age, children start to show genuine empathy and understanding. That's really cool. That's really young. Okay, so we're capable of it. I'm on board with your theory then. Let's teach it. I was like, can we teach it? Are they ready to learn it? Let's do that. So that's the way my brain works. Mm, Am I ready for that? cool so yeah let's uh i'll ask you another question here um one of the the things i'm always curious about i see so many people who are really struggling and i think like this person needs to talk to a social worker to they would clearly qualify for medicare or sorry medicaid and like they need resources but 
but I don't know how to get them to a social worker that can help them with that. Is there a, a way that people can actually like find a social worker and get connected? So yeah, again, you need to know what you're referring for referring mm-hmm. to. Um, one is no matter where you're working, you should be having a social worker on staff if you are a medical provider, just saying. Um, but uh, here's the the words that I have found, like when I've worked in different states and in different communities, um, is like Google, like family services. You can always go to the mm. Department of Health and Human Services and they'll, uh, in any state and they'll have like lists of agencies. Um, that is literally what social workers do when we don't know. We, we use things like <laughs> family services, uh, Lincoln, like, and so we can get that. So, um, or housing services of wherever you're at, like kind of like Google the words and then just use the word services. A lot of time that'll get you connected, but the Department of Health and Human Services on in every state will have lists of um, very friendly, usually the majority of the sites that I've had to use um, are very friendly and they usually have right there a list of agencies you can call. But Google is really helpful too. I just kind of use the like the words that I know that they need. And so that's usually if you don't have a social worker in like in a referral process and you don't know any of the community resources, I would, um, I would just Google that and then, um, give that place a call before you give it to the patient and tell them what you want. And because the majority of social workers that do work there, if they don't, if it's not, they're going to connect you to what you need. Like I've never not had that happen. I've referred mm-hmm. and been like, I know I'm calling the wrong place, but this is what I'm looking for in this community. Cause I've had to set up like, like outpatient psychiatry visits in like four States away. And I just call some place and I'll get you there. So the cool thing about social workers is, is if we don't know, we'll get you the information. So <laughs> yeah. It does seem like a lot of resources are very city specific. Am I mm, right? In yeah. That? Yeah. Does that make it hard? <laughs> like, like, if you want to move, you're going to have to learn a totally different set of resources, right? Yeah. Uh, it's sort of sad because then you have that resources for the rest of your life in your head and you know the numbers because you dialed it a hundred <laughs> times, but you don't live there anymore. So it doesn't matter, but you have all of that knowledge. Um, yeah, I moved from, I went to grad school at Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, and I did my um, internship there at a inpatient psychiatric facility for um, adults and um, knew all of that. Oh, it was like, boom, boom, boom. And then I worked at the hospital in their wellness and their cancer center and knew all of those resources. And then I moved to Omaha and I remember being in my interview and they're like, well, where would you refer someone with this or that? And I was like... I have no idea. I said, but I would refer to this type of agency. <laughs> like, I was like, I would refer them to inpatient mental health or I would refer them to a treatment program or a homeless service. I was like, I don't have any names. So you learn that by exactly what I said. We Google a word combination and then we keep going. That is our, what our bachelor degree oftentimes taught us is um, I have a patient who's homeless and needs an ID and they were born in 1976 in Florida. They don't know what county you have to figure out how to f- contact the county they were born in, get them their birth certificate, find the money from a local agency that will pay for the birth certificate, get the birth certificate money check made to the right department of, you know, uh, that of that city, mail it there, wait two weeks, get it back, get the money then to pay for their ID and then they can get it. Um, so we know how to do that. So when you call a social worker and they're like, Oh, we can't help you. They'll help you figure it out. It's like our like superpower is figure it out. And so we, we can do it. We'll figure it out. We can make it happen. 
Mm-hmm. That tenacity is very noteworthy. Oh, it's tenacity. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to say that. I'm, it's social workers are tenacity. That's awesome. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, again, can't speak for everyone, but yeah, that's pretty drilled into us. You keep looking. That's uh, connecting yeah. services. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, because we, we love asking really general and broad questions. I know. I'm like, um, okay. Be ready. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a two-parter. So uh, how does homelessness impact mental health and how much of the issues we see are tied to homelessness, like things that we see uh, societally? So homelessness isn't like necessarily a problem everywhere. Like sometimes people allow people in other countries and like, it's not necessarily a problem, but it is a problem here. Um Homelessness to me is this very broad answer, um, but there is a reason and it's not always the reason you think it is. Mm-hmm. It really isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are homeless for a period, of, I was homeless for a period of time um, when I, full disclosure, uh, I was, um, my husband and I separated and I didn't have anywhere to live. And so I couch surfed for a while. I was lucky. And I think it was because I was female and white and able to keep a job and, um, had one that I was able to get out of that state, but, um, but homelessness is hard. So mm-hmm. when we talk about the human experience, um, and the, the bio, the biology of what we call psychosocial stressors, when you have no resources, your mental health is impacted and your ability to be able to problem solve, to prioritize, to, um, walk in and participate in society is oftentimes stripped away. Most people who are homeless, even if you get to sleep in the shelter, you still got to keep all your stuff together. You got to, you, you can't sleep with one eye open. You are literally sleep deprived. And if you ever become a patient of mine, the first thing we talk about is you got to sleep, right? You've got mm-hmm. to sleep. My next podcast is going to be on sleep. <laughs> like, <Yeah. Woo>. um, <laughs> and you not having the ability to sleep is literally going to affect everything. It's a ripple effect. And um, I know that sometimes we give people really powerful medications to sleep. And while some of those are addicting, the reason we're willing to risk that is because sleep is that important and homelessness does not allow that. Mm-hmm. So um, people are homeless because they have literally been stripped of societal standards. And then people who are chronically homeless don't even know how to, to kind of um, – come back because we're so judgmental to how they got there that they're walking back in or then coming to sit next to us while they're waiting to see their doctor too in our nice little primary care waiting room. We we don't feel comfortable with them there. And so they don't feel comfortable being there. And we don't even allow them to integrate back into society. And that and to me is why it becomes perpetual. I know that there was this gentleman who we got him an apartment and he slept out on the balcony because he had slept outside for 20 years wow. and he had an apartment, but, and he slowly, slowly, slowly moved into the house and then into the room and then into the bed. But, um, when you have homelessness, you're stripping them of that societal connection. And we have yet to truly pave a way back. Mm-hmm. Great answer. Wow. I, I think you bring up a very good point where I've seen lots of people, <laughs> A lot of times in America, we like to say like, oh, they're homeless because they're lazy. They just need to get a job. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But when you really start talking to people who are homeless and digging down into the reasons of why they are homeless, it's oftentimes they went through something terrible. They coped with drugs. They got Mm -hmm. addicted to drugs. They lost all their money because they spent it on drugs. And now they're homeless and they spend pretty much what they have on the, on the drug that made them homeless. So it's, it's or they just were like they lived with their mother who you know took care of them and covered for their cognitive disability for so long but then their mother died and they had no ability or no family and now they're homeless on the streets and they have no other they have no problem solving skills in general yeah, yeah. there's lots, lots of reasons yeah mm-hmm. and again it's not what you think it is it, it's not it yeah. usually yeah. is not like, there is drug use yes absolutely i would too if i had no ability no coping and resources yeah i would not mm-hmm. want to feel with that emotion either mm-hmm. but it's not always just drugs that get you there and it's not always drugs that keep you there yeah very true yeah well not again beth thank you so much um i knew you were great just in talking to you right before we started recording and you have reinforced and solidified all that throughout this whole episode so uh, thank you so much for for joining us we appreciate it oh thank you guys for being accommodating to my schedule as a mom and um i really appreciate you caring about social workers because i love them too I think we, I think it's good. I actually had a psychology major and then I changed because I just felt like I wanted to not just know how someone interacted to their environment. I wanted to know what to do about it. All of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I have arrived. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I always tell people that if you want to do the most good in the world, become a social worker. Yes. You might not get paid the most, but you at least do the most good. So you got a plus and minus that. I was just saying thank you for having me on and um, thank you for what you're doing. I listen to some of your podcasts and I love it. I don't actually like podcasts, even though I have one too. I'm too like attention deficited and I'm like, oh, look at over there. It usually inspires me to think other things and I lose track of it. But um, I really appreciate you guys taking time to educate people on mental health. I think, again, like I said, like, let's just, if we could start young, but if we can't, let's just let people know that there's a reason for the behavior that we have Mm -hmm. and um, normalizing it for them and helping them understand it. That's really powerful. So I love it. Thank you guys for just getting together. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, We always like to wrap it up with uh, sharing some, some famous people that kind of tie into our our episode. I mean, we're not that famous yet, but uh, some (laughs) famous people that that tie into our episodes. So I think Justin has a couple um, that wrap into our episode for today. Yeah. So I did a quick little Google search on people with social work degrees. So Martin Short, the comedian, uh, thought that was kind of a funny one. It is cool. Yeah. Stedman Graham, Oprah's longtime life partner. No way! I had no idea on that. No idea. I mean, you should know, but I had no idea. And then I don't know who added this one, but I did. Samuel I'm L. Jackson? So, so, yeah. Mr. Snakes on a Plane. I'm Apparently, totally going to Google back that. He, I don't know. He, I'm looking at it right now. He majored in social work from Morehouse College. So, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson. He's probably got the bachelor's degree, so he's probably good at really connecting resources. Yeah. (laughs) He's got it. I have to watch the movies now. Look at that. (laughs) Not that I watch them all. Hey. Uh, (laughs) Awesome. 
Well, um, as we wrap up, as always, you know, thank you guys so much for listening to today. Um, be sure to like, subscribe, share, follow on, on Spotify, uh, give us a rating on Apple podcasts. Um, and as Beth kind of mentioned earlier, make sure you listen to her podcast called Hippocratic Hope. I'm almost done with the most recent episode talking about guilt and self-care. Um, I really enjoyed it. I've already thrown her a five-star review because she deserves it. Um, so make sure you guys check it out. Yeah, And make sure you guys take care of y'all mentals. We'll as talk always. to you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> One more thing before we go. If you're having any thoughts of harming yourself or harming others, please reach out for help. Call 911, go to the emergency room, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Thanks for listening. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today.